Hi, I'm Sydney. And I'm Viv. Welcome to Sprout, a podcast about finding your place in the world and growing an impactful career. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Sproutcast and Happy New Year. Um, today we're doing a little bit of a different episode. We have our two lovely friends, Max and Sandithi, with us. Yeah, please tell us um, who you are. Like, we'd love to hear a bit about what you've been up to. Viv Sydney, super stoked to be here, excited to reflect on the year um, and plan a little bit for the next one. In terms of who I am, I'm currently interning at Goldman, though you probably wouldn't know it from the uh, moderately long non-corporate hair and little bum fluff on my face, but I also... Uh, run next chapter we do a couple things one thing is a community of bringing together ambitious curious like-minded people and then i'm also working on an angel investing syndicate called ultraviolet which is super exciting that's probably going to be a letdown after max sorry about it (laughs) (laughs) um (laughs) so i'm I'm currently working at an impact investment firm at the moment so that's really exciting because it's a space I've wanted to explore for quite a long time. Um, I've also been looking at the fast fashion space that um, with the Uni Society called Enactus, which is where I met Viv and then heard about Sproutcast. Um, so I've been exploring that. And um, this conversation is going to be really interesting because I have some very interesting thoughts about planning because I hate planning and I'm not a planner. <laughs> Definitely relate. Fantastic. Well, let's dive right in. On that note that you've just brought up, Sandithi, um, what do you think about New Year's resolutions then? Well, I was having this conversation with a friend yesterday and she flat out said they're stupid. I, I definitely don't have a polar that much of a polarizing thought on them. I think they're good and bad. So I think they're good in the sense that you literally have time to stop and reflect. And I think reflecting is really important. Um, so then you can start fresh and whatnot. But I think they're bad that in the sense that if you're trying to achieve a goal and you don't know how to do it, like you don't have the processes around you to be able to achieve them, then you're probably going to let yourself down and get super discouraged. I mean, that's why you probably see so many memes about people not achieving their New Year's resolutions. Like they're, yeah, they can be good, but they're going to be bad as well. Yeah, that's a really interesting point. And I was talking to someone else the other day and I feel like more and more, people around me are starting to not believe in New Year's resolutions. Like I feel like when we were younger, it was almost like a ritual to set it, especially in like early uni and high school. But um, a thought that I've been hearing recently is that like people don't feel like they have to wait for the new year to do like something good or to like change bad habits, um, which I thought was a really interesting perspective. So I'm sort of like shifting on my opinion of New Year's resolutions these days. Uh, I'm Look, I'm Ira Sandithi what you said I dislike them but I think like generally speaking they're excellent because Viv as you said they force people to introspect and there's this there's this thing I heard recently right that one of the fastest ways to change is just tell people something so this is an example I heard and it's a little extreme and it and it's if you want to stop smoking tell everyone I've already stopped smoking or if you want to become a vegetarian tell the world i am a vegetarian like pretend you've already done it and if you put that (laughs) out there there's a good chance consistency bias is going to work for you and i think new year's resolutions are somewhat similar 
you almost create a new identity for yourself and tell yourself what you're going to do and be. Um, I think what was really interesting, Viv, that you said is that they, you, you don't need to wait for the new years to do it. And I think uh, I, I'm with you on that because it's just like an arbitrary time. And the thing I'd add is that New Year's resolutions, people really think about setting goals, where I'm very much of the ideas, the James Clear idea of setting systems instead of setting goals. And I guess to give like the rundown of the idea is that successful, since unsuccessful and successful people have the same goals, um, goals can't alone be the answer. And the reason is because goals don't tell you what you should do. They just tell you what like the end state is. So James Clear's view is that instead of setting goals, you should set systems. For example, don't have a goal of being a um, superstar podcaster such as Sproutcast. Instead, have a system of <laughs> podcasting once a week and asking three guests who you think are just out of your um, reach every week. So I like that idea of thinking in terms of systems instead of goals. I like that. Yeah, that's a really good point. Is that a book out of the 100 books you've read, Max? <laughs> it's Atomic Habits, isn't it? Sandithi's on the money. I reckon hop <laughs> on James Clear's newsletter, 321 um, Thursdays it's called. I actually reckon it's probably the best newsletter I subscribe to. Well, I'll say, I won't say it's the best, I'll say it's my favourite that I've subscribed to. Oh, I'm going to make a note of that. Sydney, what are your thoughts on New Year's resolutions? Personally, I'm a big fan of them because I don't really think of them as goals. Like you said, I think I think of them as more um, what we put our focus and attention to. I think something I really believe is that our thoughts become our actions and our actions become habits and those become characters. And so every year I kind of set a new focus area that kind of become the framework that I put my attention to and sort of how I structure my thoughts. And so it kind of helps that there's not really like a metrics of whether I can meet it or not. Um, so I never fail them, but it's just something to always come back to as I go about the year. Oh, that's impressive. I have never heard such a structured approach to New Year's resolutions. Like, <laughs> that's impressive. <laughs> Sydney, would you um call the focus um, a goal? Or is it more like a focus area and then you have some way of breaking that down into different behaviours and actions? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think um, I'll talk more about this later as well. But one of my resolutions for next year is just being present. So you see how that's not something you can easily measure, whether you're present or not. But because I have that goal, it's on my lock screen. I just have reminders everywhere in my life so that when I find myself um, veering off that, I'm just reminded, oh, this is what I'm focusing on this year. I love that. So you apply that concept to all different parts of your life. Yeah. Yeah. Like if I'm in a lecture, like rather than just being on my calendar, <laughs> planning out my next week, to <laughs> actually be present, be in the lecture, know that I'm here, like I'm paying money to learn something and that the professor has put time in preparing this presentation and I want to be entertained and learn, obviously. <laughs> I think it's so important to Sydney, as you're doing, remind yourself of what your New Year's resolutions are. And I'll give you like a little example of why I say that. I went back to look at um, my last year's resolutions and yeah. I found that half of them I had forgotten about and with goals uh, I was setting myself again for this year. So like a really simple one uh, is 
basically not using Instagram or completely cutting social media use. I set that as a resolution or a focus myself, and then I completely forgot that I set it. But instead, one thing I potentially should have done, or two things I potentially should have done, um, the first is set reminders and, and ways of uh, getting like a kickstart to my memory that this is what I'm focusing on. That's like what you're doing, right? By putting be present around the place. And then I think the other thing I probably should have done, and it goes back to that systems idea, which I'll return to a bit, is instead of setting the goal, let's have less Instagram use, I should have like right from the start downloaded Freedom, that like social media blocking app, and I should have every single day scheduled a fixed amount of time uh, over which I'm allowed to use social media. Uh, and I'm sure that's something like we can talk about later as well, how we're changing the way we set goals or focus areas or systems going into the next year. But that remind reminding yourself idea um, as just a meta idea more broadly, I think is really powerful. Mm, that's a really good point, Max, and leads really well into a topic we really wanted to talk about today, which is last year's goals and how you guys found um, working towards them was. Uh, Sandithi, do you want to kick us off with how last year went for you? Mm-hmm. Yep. Last year, I think, was a really great year in terms of how I carried myself professionally, I guess, or just working towards um, working towards achieving my professional goals and whatnot. So I think it started off with me putting myself or knowing where to put myself in the right position to meet the right kind of people oh that sounds really transactional it's not like that so (laughs) I meant okay so there are certain places in university so like joining consulting clubs or even just places like Anactus which is where I met with um (laughs) where I was able to meet really great really talented cool people who I could learn from and that in itself allowed me to create mini goals throughout the year to be able to achieve certain stuff so I never started off the year being like oh I am going to be here where I'm where I am right now but I started off with these sort of mini structured goals of like being able to enter into these consulting clubs or whatever did that and that in itself led to more activities or whatnot (laughs) to be able to be where I am so it was good in that way professionally so I think I could focus less on the professional and more on the personal going into the new year. I guess a follow-up question to that would like really interested to hear like how you set those goals. Like, did you write it down um, as a sentence or like anything? And if you could reflect on that, would you change anything about the way you actually set your new year's resolutions? So like I said at the start, I'm not a huge planner. Planning gives me the biggest anxiety because it shows me how much little time I have in life. But I guess I'm like, I want to enter a certain place. I'm like, okay, so what do I have to do to get there? So it's like, oh, I don't know, practice these cases or whatnot. It's not so much of a process. It's more of, okay, I want to get there. What do I do to get there? And I spend a little time trying to do that. I'm going to jump in on that planning point. I think a, a vice of self-development information or a downside of it, is that it tells everyone how they should be, right? It advises, oh, planning's really good, or focusing only on one thing is is what you must do. And I would push back, and I would say that the way you become the most productive is looking at yourself and what works for you. And I, I see, like, one distinction of personalities. There are, like, multiple vectors upon which you can... Um, split personalities but one distinction is someone who's planned versus someone who's very spontaneous and 
I think you should work out whether you like to be more planned or whether you like to be more spontaneous and then structure your life accordingly. So I think I used to be someone who was a lot more planned. Uh, and now as time evolved naturally due to some sort of like conflux of factors, I've become more spontaneous. So uh, a way that then like manifests into how I plan is how I look at my calendar. So if I go back three years, the way my calendar worked was I used to time block two hours for this thing, two hours for this thing, two hours for this thing. And I used to get a fair bit done. And that personal development information will tell you that's the way you should do it. Always, always. Um, the way I do it now, and I probably get more done, is I plan basically nothing. Um, all I know is I'm going to sit at my desk and work on something. And what I work on... At, what I work on is what I feel like, like it's something that's productive, but it's what I feel like working on. And what I mean by that is I try and manage my energy. So say I wake up in the morning and I feel really energized to study maths or statistics at uni. I will pull that up and do it right away. Or say I'm having like a slump after lunch and I know I'm not going to get much done. I might hop into like some more admin style tasks. Um, and again, this doesn't work for everyone, but it's like this distinction that I think personal development information doesn't show you which is figuring out what works for you and adjusting accordingly. I love that. I actually implemented something like that in my life as well because we're often told by this self-development community that you should always start your day with the hardest thing first. And I was like, to me, that just makes zero sense to me because to, in my mind, because I have such a friction when it comes to getting started on things, it just does not work for me. And so what, how I... I guess a process that I, you know, now that I look back that I do is I always start the day with the easiest thing I can do. So that's, I love the admin stuff that gives me motivation to do other stuff and that kicks the day off for me. But the, yeah, I agree. Like we're told that so many, there are certain things that work and it's not right. And you've got to figure out what's right for you. Definitely agree with that. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, and Max, what were your goals last year? Um, well, I told you I absolutely flunked the Instagram social media goal. <laughs> but but I do now have it blocked on my phone and my brother has my restrictions password, which I don't know. So that was one goal that didn't go so well. Another, I, I don't know how much of a goal it was, but another thing I wanted to do that I probably didn't do as well as I should have was be more courageous with reaching out to people and doing things outside of my comfort zone probably two things I could have done better that would have helped me do that. Um, one, Sydney goes back to your idea. I probably should have put reminders around to implement that behavioral trait because it's somewhat intangible. Um, the second thing I could have done is I could have set something like more tangible, such as reach out to one person a week who's way above me in this one area and who I don't feel worthy talking to. Um, and then maybe like a third thing, and I think, probably think this is, something that applies more broadly is I should just surround myself. And I kind of have done this by people who are courageous, by people who are doing things that um, step out of their comfort zone and push themselves. So that's probably another goal. Um, it was a small goal that I didn't do as well as I would have liked. Um, in terms of things that did go well, I think most of them weren't actually goals at the start of the year, which, which I think is really interesting. So the things that went well two in particular one is next chapter, that passion project slash startup I work on. And the other is Ultraviolet, the angel investing syndicate I mentioned. 
Now, both of these weren't goals, but both, but the reason both of these worked out really well, and this is a theme I'll come back to, is because I just did something, anything. And what I mean by that is, both with Next Chapter and Ultraviolet, the way it started was just like a little kindling of what it is. And I didn't see what it was going to blossom into. I just started doing something. And I feel like that is often how things turn out. Um, I have a friend, um, Will Gow. He's 18 years old, recently raised one of the largest pre-seed rounds in Australian history funded by Blackbird. He didn't foresee that. Um, even after work, the venture fund where I was working at, the trio or the, the founders, they just started uh, angel investing as a side hobby, as an after work hobby. And then started working for them. They loved it. They had a skill in it. And it bloomed into a fund that has now raised $20 million and it's going to keep going. So I think it's like a meta theme um, for what works for me and what I've seen work for others is just do something. Literally do anything. And the chances um, of something cool happening just by starting um, anything is huge. It's definitely what happened to me. I was like, okay, I'm going to put myself in these positions like these like go to these societies and whatnot and you meet people and it just spreads from there like it's yeah, the snowball effect yeah preparation is important but then sometimes opportunity happens it's not even when you don't expect it but you just have to put yourself in those situations where serendipity can happen yeah I guess that's also like a point against planning like none of these things you could plan if you don't even know like what exists right you might not even know that after work exists until you're in the middle of the year or something um so I think it's like so important to leave room in your plans to explore your curiosity whenever that pops up yeah no I'm with you and I think part of the way that serendipity is created is by instead of trying to focus on like an end outcome um instead of like trying to just focus on reaching success by some shortcut say I'm going to email 100 VC firms to try and get a job. I think the reason so much of that serendipity like manifest for me was because I had focused so much in the past on learning and being able to create value so that when I did meet people, um, I could genuinely help them. Or when I worked in a job, I could genuinely make a contribution. And I think it was that focus on actually upskilling rather than just like signaling um, that, that made it that made it such that these small things could um, grow into something bigger. I think also um, looking back on my New Year's resolutions from last year, I've kind of been able to achieve all of them even though they weren't actionable or I didn't like break it down into systems because I focused on the things that like are actually genuinely important to me and that I care about. I feel like in the past I'll set resolutions that I don't actually care that much about, but I feel like I should, and then I just, like, forget about them. But um, some of my um, goals last year was, like, for example, securing a grad role, and that's something so important that I could just, like, not forget about, even if it wasn't on my wall or anything. So, yeah, I think it's, like, really important to focus on the things that you actually genuinely care about. I agree. That's about what I can summarise out of that conversation is you guys are living according to your values like Vivian you're ambitious Max you want to help people so you're like what position can I put myself in to be able to help people as much as I can so I I agree I'm looking back on goals that I wasn't successful at last year and I agree it's because it didn't necessarily align with the values that I had at the time so for example I started off the year and I was like I'm definitely going to start investing my money I'm going to put my money in an index fund 
no way did I get into that. Um, and I, I'm looking back, I was, like I was reflecting yesterday, and I was like, well, why didn't I do it? And like, yeah, I'm, I tell myself it's because I didn't have time, but like, no, I definitely did have time. It's more because it's not something that was valued or is valued by my family. So even though I do hear about it, it's just, I just definitely don't see it as important way as to live or, you know, to be able to carry out living because I haven't seen my parents do it. So I'm like, ah, I can, I can, I can live without it. So it didn't align with my values. So like Vivian said, like, it's not something I cared about. I never did it. So do we, do something you care about. <laughs> did, did you put it in crypto yeah. instead, Sandithi? Oh my god, I actually did. Oh my god, what, what is it? Uh, that please, oh, such a regret. What was it? Is it Doge? Oh, Doge, the mother yeah. of all yeah. cryptos. Oh my god, I was like, let me put like thirty dollars into this. I did. I don't know what happened to it, and I'm not checking my account. But yeah. Doge is pumping. Doge is doing well. You should check. You're joking. No. Do- Doge is doing really, really well. Yeah. Oh, let me get onto my Binance account then. Yeah. I, I check and update down. us. <laughs> I will. It's about to be 30,000. Uh, going to, back to your point there, Sandithi, about um, goals and values. Similar with me, if I look at a goal, so I, one of the goals I set myself was to get above 96 in all my uni subjects, and I didn't hit that. Um and I think the reason why is because I didn't care enough. Like one of my values was being productive and doing all sorts of other passion projects on the side. And I realized to get from say a 90 to a 96 requires, let's say going from 30% effort to 90% effort. Like I said, three X difference in work. And I just realized that wasn't something that really mattered for me. Um, so yeah, I'm with you there and understanding really understanding yourself i know it's like a trite thing to say but that's really what it comes down to it's true you gotta know what you care about what you value absolutely sydney how was your last year excellent i think one of the key goals i had was to be more empathetic um and similar to what we were saying about having values that having our goals align with our values the reason why that was important to me was i really looked up to my little brother um, because I really, I really loved his empathy and considerateness. And that was something I wanted to have more of. And so being home all the time, spending time with him was just also a good reminder to be empathetic. And then my other goal was more career focus. It was more, um, to give what I want, like my 100%. I know 100% is a contentious topic, but <laughs> the idea is to not hold back. And I think a big part of that was going through the interview process for Goldman. Because the first time wasn't successful, I had fears about what would happen the next year. But I think the next year, knowing that, okay, if this is what I want, um, I'm going to give it all that I can to really be prepared for the interview was like a really helpful mindset to have. Sydney, how did you um, try going about being more empathetic? Because I'm of the view that empathy is a skill. Right, it's a skill like any skill, and you can get better mm. at it. Sure, some people might be born with a bit higher empathy and be brought up um, with higher empathy, but you can get better, and you should try and get better at empathy. Um, so did how did you uh, try to improve empathy? Well, empathy is really just trying to understand how other people feel and think. It's very... It's easier said than done, but what I found to be helpful is just, like, surrounding myself and knowing who other people in my life that I really can see that trait in and then think about what they would do in those situations. 
So at home, something would happen, and then I would be like, my brother, like, Henry, what are you thinking? Like, what are you considering right now? And then he would tell me, and I'm like, okay, so this is what I should be doing to be empathetic in this situation. That's an awesome frame. Like, think of what someone else would do in that situation, because I feel like that's something that we can pretty easily do a fair bit of the time. Uh, and it makes sense to start with thinking of what someone else would do rather than some anomalous concept of, I'm just going to try and magically be more empathetic. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, because I agree. It's also a skill. And like you wouldn't try to learn tennis by just thinking about it. Or <laughs> Actually, you would try to practice. But it's helpful to see how the pros do it. Like what are their training techniques? What are they thinking about at each stage? And then try to... Um, Almost reproduce that. I love so a huge thing I've been um, thinking about lately is that in professional sport, even if you're the most naturally gifted person in the world, you need to practice, right? And I think that yeah. mindset should be brought to every part of life. Um, mm. Like a, a naivety or an arrogance, you could even say that I had was just thinking, "Oh, I'm smart, therefore I'll be a good investor," or or all sorts of things of that manner. Whereas, no matter what uh, it is. Whether you have an inclination towards it or not, I think you should bring that practice mindset, um, that sports person mindset of deliberate practice to improve. I agree. Sports people are people that we can learn from. I think I want to, this year, I want to learn more about, like, uh, more about, I don't know, some sports people's lives because they are the one people that I see that set a goal and like they achieve it. Like they just go so, um, they do it so intensely and they're so focused and their drive is insane. Like it's something I definitely want to mirror in life. Yeah. That's yeah. why I loved um, Mackenzie on your podcast. I was going to plug amazing. that episode. <laughs> I'll plug it for you. Go listen to Mackenzie Little's <laughs> podcast. That was fabulous. Yeah, and I think the other thing that I admire so much in sports people is, like, the physical pain that they have to endure on top of, like, the mental struggles, right? Because I feel like with a lot of other things that you're working, like, towards, you don't have to deal with actual physical injuries as well. Mm -hmm. I was watching some some kind of sports clip, and when it came to the physical pain thing, what one of them was saying, you know, the quote that I go by is, this is meant to hurt, and so they let themselves you know not not get injured but you know they let it come because it's part of the process and I've kind of adopted that into my adapted that into my life because I'm like okay so this is not meant to be fun this is not meant to be you know uh, I'm not meant to be having a good time but it's going to push me so there's so much you can learn from them I I think sports people actually come to like the pain and it starts mentally right it starts with the reframe and a, a quote that Yen, a guy called Yen Liao um, said is struggle is pain with meaning, whereas suffering is pain without meaning. So the, the difference between struggle and, and suffering is just the context, right? It's the why. Uh, and I, I think that's true of sports people. They have this like overwhelming why that means the pain becomes enjoyable because the pain is a sign of improvement. It's a sign that you're reaching your goals. And look, I think that's relevant um, really broadly. And the the takeaway is context, right? If you have the why, you can find the how. That's such a good point. And I think um, 
tying like the sports people back to the empathy thing. So like last year, I've had a friend who is super, super um, unwell with like injuries and stuff. And that's something that I could never empathize with because I've never actually fortunately experienced any sort of like physical pain to that level. And I think in those times, um, it's really important to just be honest, like this isn't a situation I can empathize with and um, asking them how you can best support it. Because I feel like with other friends who've been unwell in the past, people assume that they should support them in a certain manner when it's actually super harmful. There's no one fit solution. Yeah, definitely. (laughs) Anyway, so to jump to, I guess, a more recent um, train of thought. What are you guys sort of focusing on this year? I can start us off. Um, so as I've mentioned, my first one is to be present. Um, I think it's just like, you know, you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Like the world could end tomorrow. A bomb could go off. Like so many things can happen. Um, so you might as well just really, really be focused in the present now. Um, and then my other big thing is to, I want to live a principled life. I don't know what my principles are yet. I'm still in the process of writing them. Um, but right now, the biggest one, I think, is to do what is in my nature and do what makes sense to me. I think it's it's not necessarily on the opposite of empathy, but I think it's important to know like what you want in different situations um, and make decisions around that rather than just you know, there's so many factors that influence our decisions. It's helpful to have one key framework to guide us through it. Mm. I won't, I won't share all the things I'm focusing on off the bat, but I will share one that is very uh, relevant to what Sydney was saying. Then we can cycle back to the others. But there is this pattern of recommendations that I've been seeing called. Uh, I guess like the headline I'll give it is game selection. And the idea is like the most important decision we make is the direction we choose to go in or like the game we choose to play and whether that sets us up to win. Is it a game we can win? Is it, is it something that is suited to our nature to borrow um, Sydney's language? So I think that framing of game selection um, and picking the right game, heading in the right direction is one of the things I've been thinking about a lot this year because if you put in a, a thousand percent effort in the wrong direction, you're not going to get where you want to go. Um, and there are a couple other ways I've heard game selection framed. One way is that Ikigai framework, which uh, you can search up. It's I-K-I-G-A-I for those listening. Um, and it's like an intersection of, I think it's three or four concentric circles that helps you know what to focus on. The other frame that I really love for game selection, and it comes from Naval Ravikant, is what feels like play to you, but looks like work to others. And I think this is one of the greatest questions ever created. So it's not just saying follow your passions, it's saying follow what is play to you, but is reward in the workplace for others. And I think that's just an awesome question and it goes into game selection. Um, If you can find what feels like play to you, but looks like work to others, that's probably a game you should be playing. That's a direction you should head in. And that's probably when you can put your pedal, um, the the pedal to the metal or or whatever the saying is and uh, pursue it with more intensity and focus. 
Yeah, um, Max, what you were saying also reminds me of like advice I've heard a lot is to focus more on what you're good at rather than trying to always like strengthen your weaknesses. Because um, when you like strengthen what you're naturally good at, you'll be even better at it. And then if you're trying to be better at something you're not naturally good at, you're never going to be as good as the other people who are naturally good at that. Yeah, 100%. And you enjoy it. If you're good at it, you enjoy it. It creates a virtuous cycle. If I'm going to stick with something for life or a long, long time, you need to enjoy it to an extent. And I would be hard-pressed to believe you're going to enjoy something that you're not um, naturally inclined towards. That's so true. Anyone else want to fire away with Asandithi? So there's a big overarching word that I want to live by, which is being more intentional with the way that I structure my life. So if I'm resting, I want to rest well. If I'm working, I want to focus well. That's something we can get into later because that really helps our focusing. Um, so intentional is the big overarching word. And then under that, I cr- I sort of looked at three focus areas that, um, that I want to get better at. So one, I want to be a better learner because I don't think I'm an efficient learner. And that's something that I want to um, figure out ways on how to improve so that I can be, I can do more with my time, I guess, especially even when you're coming to uni, I've learned something better so that I have more time to go do other stuff outside of uni. Secondly, is to pursue more creative activities. So I, I've definitely just come across the idea that being able to express yourself creatively is just a freedom in itself. So I want to pursue those activities more. And thirdly, fix up my physical health I have terrible knees I have terrible shoulders (laughs) and I haven't been able to be more active as I like and I think I want to fix up that grounding so that I have a I can be more healthy especially when I'm like going to be busy probably when I'm like you know 22 23 24 so those are just the sort of three things but do it intentionally is how I've planned around it yeah. yeah I so relate to the knees thing like I hate oh knees <laughs> no don't get me started on the knees point <laughs> <laughs> so I I'm planning to go skiing in February and skiing is quite hard on the knees so every time I do that I think okay how can I strengthen my knees what are the best ways to do that and a couple things um I've kind of landed on for knees, knee advice. <laughs> let me let me write this down. First one is you need to actually bring your knees over your toes. So you, there's this whole idea that, oh, don't lunge with your knees over the toes. It's unhealthy for your knees. But actually one thing that's really healthy for your knees is say you have like a low bench or something. Plant your feet, like lean, lean fo- forward so your knees like touch the bench and then come back up. So it's basically trying to bring your knees as far over your toes as you can and then come back up. Another way, I, I can send you guys some videos. Of you? No, yeah, we'll add it no, to the show notes. most certainly not. <laughs> um, most certainly not. <laughs> Thank you, Max. A question for you, Sandithi, and everyone else as well. How do you think you can learn better? Oh, okay. So... I kind of broke this down into um, two things. So firstly is to actually make an effort to absorb what I learned. So for example, if I read an article, right, in the past, I'm like, okay, cool. I'm going to go on with my day. I read it, cool. I don't think beyond that. 
but I think what I need to do is to actually summarize it and be like, at the end of the day, what did I learn? Because I think cementing that learning is actually really important. Um, So that's one thing that I really want to focus on. And then secondly, is to get the information that I learned, right? Whether it's reading a chapter of a book or chapter of an article and seeing how I can link that to other things that I know, because I think that's from from the research that I've done, that's the way to be able to make it stick in your head and be more efficient. So it's like, if I know something, I won't be able to forget it. So those are two things that I want to do. Um, how that will apply to uni, I think it's going to be a bit more difficult, but I'm going to try and I will update you next year. Yeah, please do. I, I will jump in on the learning how to learn part because it's, oh, it's one of my favourite things. It's your forte. <laughs> It is one of my favorite things. Um, actually keep a like multiple notion pages on learning how to learn. Um, but I, I think it starts with the high level principles of learning how to learn. So a place I'd start is a course on Coursera called learning how to learn, believe it or not. Oh, I've heard of that one. Um, yeah. It's very, it's almost too structured, but I think it's like a good starting place. And then I would almost move on to, so gathering all the information I can that already exists. So all the knowledge that people have already created, gathering that. And on my blog, there is an article called The Most Important Skill. Um, and I've read it, okay. Max. And, and I list, anyway, no, I, I, list, um, I list nine books on there that are about learning, actually about learning. So I'd recommend probably reading some of them. But then, and I think once you have like the frameworks in place for learning, then you got to make them your own. And two ways, really. One is like personal reflection on them. And then I'd say the second part is teaching and sharing with others. And I try to do that really, really actively. So one example is a friend of mine, every few nights, we have a late night call for 15 to 30 minutes. And we just share with each other the different things we've learned. Obviously, we learn from each other during the process, but I think even more importantly, we consolidate our own learnings in our mind. Um, the second way I try to share with others is through the Next Chapter newsletter and my blog. That, okay, is for others, sharing for others, but it also consolidates for me. It forces me to distill it into sound bites. Yeah. yeah. I think um, the best ways that i found for learning is like through practice personally. So I feel like I'll like watch all the YouTube videos I can watch and like read all the articles I can read. And like, I feel like I don't actually learn it until I put it in practice. So I feel like me starting things is all the learning process. Like for example, starting the Sproutcast, like I've learned so much about marketing, but I could like read and memorize all the marketing theory, but I would just like not really know how to actually do it until it's in practice. Yeah. I agree. Learning yeah. by doing and Agreed. seeing how other people are doing it and implementing that in your life. Yeah. Viv, what about your goals? So basically when I was thinking about this, I think the, my theme for this year is like learning how to adult because I've graduated uni, I'm starting my job, I'm getting like a steady income for the first time ever. So basically all my resolutions come around setting up like a savings bank account, Um, learning how to make personal investments and stuff like that 
also some stuff I want to focus on is to stop being a person who's late. I feel like everyone jokes about how it's normal to be 30 minutes late, but I feel like that's actually really disrespectful. It doesn't reflect well on you. Um, and also just replying to messages more promptly. I feel like sometimes I leave my messages for like 10 days and I'm like, oops, I never replied to this friend. So I guess just part of being a more organized and reliable adult. The late thing is... Oh, it's such a mood. <laughs> Someone told me it's you're being late because you don't value the other person's time. Yeah, the, don't be late for those Tinder dates, Viv. <laughs> <laughs> Look, if you're going to be late to anything, be late to a Tinder date because, you know, what is it? What is it? Don't, what is it? Don't play too hard. What, whatever that quote play, is. Don't just, play hard to get or do play hard to get? Yeah, don't play hard to get. That's okay. the one. Just you know, play hard to get. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I don't care. Dating advice from yeah. some Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> to, to all the guys listening, this is why I do not use Tinder. Yeah, Sandeezy disrespects you and your time. So, Max, what are your goals? Yeah, so I guess like a few of the systems that I mentioned. Uh, a dis- distraction blocking. So I see that as like a social media diet. And the idea of the diet is like... I don't want to use social media when the red dot, the red dot of a notification tells me to use it. I want to use it when I plan to, not um, not in like an addicted way, but in a structured way. I want to share content through Twitter. Again, a system. It's like something I can do as a system rather than a goal. Um, I want to journal and reflect more often. And the system there is every Friday, hopefully more often, every Friday at the least, to when I get home at night, whether that's a 11 p.m., 1 a.m. or 3 a.m. to journal for 20 minutes. Um, so there are a couple of systems I'm putting in place. The a, a mantra, because I, I like to think of mantras as well. So you have like goals, systems, mantras. A mantra I'm approaching the year with is do what scares me and seek discomfort. Uh, and I like that for a couple of reasons. I think we improve when we're at the edge of our comfort zone. And if something scares you, then it's probably a sign that's at the edge of your comfort zone. It's probably a sign that it's an area you can improve in because otherwise it wouldn't scare you. And something as like a sub point to this is the idea of reps hidden, um, like repetitions hidden in plain sight. And what I mean by this is like every day, um, as you go about your day, there are opportunities to do things that scare you or get reps in, get reps in practicing and seeking discomfort. So I think that that idea is one thing that I can do. Um, now, that's just an idea, right? How do I put that in place through systems? Look, it's something I probably need to think about a little bit more, and it, it's good that I'm forcing that upon myself, but little things. So things like reaching out to people I wouldn't otherwise reach out to, um, things like um, one thing I, I'm, I've considered doing is working in a call center, one of those call centers where you call people, hopefully for a charity, not anything dodgy. And the reason why is I think the idea of calling people and having to sell them something on the phone, when they're already scrutinizing you and negative and don't have any time, is a gr- great way of just getting really dense amount of reps in doing something that's discomfort, um, not, not comfortable. That's challenging. And also, I guess the final piece, and this goes to what Sydney was saying, is practicing the skills of presence, of empathy, 
and of vulnerability. And I really, really do believe they are skills and like, like the sports people we spoke about, I think that these skills of presence, empathy, vulnerability, everyone can hone by practice. Mm, definitely. Um, also, like with the the uh, calling thing that you were saying, Max, um, so I worked in a call center as well, and I feel like it doesn't actually help that much <laughs> with dealing with like discomfort because like when you're on the phone, you're so um, disassociated and like you're calling for different companies. It's so easy to just be like, oh, nothing to do with me type of thing. Um, what I've been trying is just like asking for discounts on stuff in real life. Um, so at least I can get like rejected to my face and it actually adds personal value. So okay. if I see a scuff on a shoe or something, I'll just be like, oh, it's like a bit damaged there. Can I have a discount? And that's sort of an easy way to slide into asking for stuff. I really like that. Um, I guess something we've written about at Next Chapter is the idea of comfort challenges. Tim mm. Ferriss was the person I knew who originated them. And that asking for discounts mm-hmm. is one of them. So I like that. I'd love to like, just go around the city with people and do a bunch of those comfort challenges. So I'll give you an example. An example of a comfort challenge is you walk into the middle of like a really busy part in the city or like into a busy cafe and just lie down on the floor. Is this, hold on. So this is all these challenges that you're doing. This is your, this is your way of putting yourself in the discomfort zone. Is that, is that's the aim, right? That's the idea. Oh, see dancing, dancing and dancing in the street that I can do. Right. Whereas something like that's a discomfort I'm willing to put myself in. It's people. I'm never going to see them again. I don't care. I make a public fool out of myself, like literally all the time. And I don't care. But let's say if it's like public speaking, if someone told me to go up and speak off the cuff, that's worth, yeah, off the cuff or something, I will have a meltdown. That's a discomfort that is like in a more professional setting that honestly makes me want to hide and never come out of my room. It's like, I think maybe that's something I want to look into. It's doing more impromptu speaking. Toastmasters. Why are you making this so practical for me? <laughs> Max and Sandithi, what has been the biggest sprout or growth moment in your lives? Yeah, cool. Probably two. I'm going to go with two, which is cheating, but I can't decide between them. First was in high school, I had, I was selected for this mentorship program and I had this mentor who introduced me to the world of self-development and learning. Um, And what I realized is that if I look at where different people are today, a huge denominator of success is being exposed to the idea of learning and personal growth really early on. So I was really fortunate in that regard, but not everyone has that chance. It's really just chance and luck. So uh, Next Chapter um, was started partly with the goal of trying to expose people to the idea of growth and learning early on. The second one was my gap year. So after high school, I decided to take a learning gap year. And what this looked like was traveling around Europe for two to three months and then spending the rest of my time in Sydney learning, just attending random events, reading um, a few too many books, and really just trying to increase my exposure to as many different ideas as I possibly could. And I think the reason that was so powerful as a Sprout moment is because it's so rare that in your life you have a chance to just learn, right? To not focus on getting marks for uni or putting in your 50-hour work weeks for your job. Just like the opportunity to just sit back and learn. So that, I think, was so foundational in getting me to do what I'm doing today. 
awesome, awesome sprout moments. Yeah. Some Daisy? Uh yeah, I gotta say the gap year thing that I, I 100% agree with that. So at the start of um, uh, when I first started uni, I did part-time for a bit. So I had more time to think. And I think it was in those first couple of months where I really had to sit back and reflect and change a lot of the ways that I was um, approaching, I guess, any kind of like learning, any kind of structured learning that I was doing. And it made such a huge impact um, on my university work. So I definitely agree gap years, you know, just having the time to just sort of sit and think is so important. So I guess that's a big sprout sprout moment for me as well. But the other two that I was going to um, talk about, so one is something that I um, came across literally the other day, which is like a epiphany I had. And the other is more something that you can apply to any day. It's more generally applicable. So the first one that I just came across is there's a difference between being liked and respected. And I, when I realized that, I think it's just going to change the way that I'm going to approach so many different social situations, especially as an extrovert. And secondly, the other one, which is more general, is the importance of collaboration. So um, I'm an extrovert, but I also like really liked being alone a lot of the time. But when I started working a lot more with people, I realized it just changed so many of my life parts from all the way to the granular to, I guess, um, mindset changes. So like working with people t- taught me how to structure an Excel sheet better, but all the way to like changing my perspective on like really massive life things. So collaboration is just really important. Excellent. Absolutely. Also, like another point on that is just even caring about what people think. But anyway, thanks so much for coming on our show, Max and Sandithi. It was awesome having you guys and hearing about how you see the world and think. Thanks, thanks even Sydney. Us. Yeah, thanks for having us. Thank you for listening. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcast. And follow us on Instagram or LinkedIn at The Sproutcast. <laughs>